turn to Hebrews chapter 2. If you have a Bible, if not, kid, just you're okay, you can listen. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Father, I ask for your miraculous ability to hear what will be said in the next 30 minutes for every adult and for every child. But not only hear, but to see. To have eyes on our hearts, ears deep down to hear in a way that is saving to all who are present. To the glory of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. Hebrews 2, verses 14 to 15. The writer says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, so that through death He might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and rescue, save all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That right there is Christmas. Let me just reinterpret or say again what that verse just said, kids. It just said that God, the Creator of everything, became a human being in the womb of Mary so that He could grow up and be butchered on a cross and thus take the sins, take the punishment that sinners like me deserved so that we'll be free and forgiven and that we can enjoy our Creator in mercy forever and ever. I I love... Christmas. I love Christmas biblically and I love Christmas large way it is celebrated in the Western culture, specifically the American culture. I love to sing I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas or Deck the Halls or what other pagan Christmas songs. I like it. I enjoy it. I don't want to be a curmudgeon about it. It's part of my larger culture. But none of that is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about salvation. The baby, Jesus in the manger, is about the really messy reality that every one of us, whether you're six or sixty, we are all sinful. And we are all therefore doomed to God's righteous judgment of us. But Christmas is about that baby has come in order to take our judgment upon Himself and thus rescue us from God's holiness for all eternity. Remember, as we just read in our Christmas text, The angel appeared to these shepherds out there on the hill outside 
Bethlehem, and He said to them, what? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior means we are all going over a waterfall to our eternal death when we die. We need someone to come and save or rescue us. That's the message of Christmas. And what I want us to see first, and before I close, is that every Christmas, as we read the Christmas stories in church and in our homes, that the angel came to Mary. That did not happen out of the blue. It wasn't to be utterly unexpected when Gabriel showed up and said, in you, God in humanity will be born. What I mean is, during the time of the Christmas story, the angel comes to Mary and comes to Joseph, they go to Bethlehem, most of the Bible was already written. They had most of the Bible, which means about that much of it, called the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. And the the newest of those Hebrew Scriptures kids were already 430 years old. And in those Scriptures, it's like a puzzle. There were prophets that God supernaturally gave information about what was going to specifically happen concerning Jesus being born and coming into the world. In other words, have you ever given a gift or received a gift yet? Like you might have a special little teeny gift for a loved one and you wrap that in a little box. And then you wrap that little box in another little box that's a little bit bigger. And then you put those two boxes in another box that's bigger and you wrap that. And they have to unwrap about five boxes. That's what the Bible, which Jesus' mom and dad would hear every Sabbath day in their synagogue, read and taught. They were like gifts, these clues to the Christmas story that was to come. And when you get down to the last box, there's the reality of Christmas. Jesus will be His name, born in a manger. See, one of the most solid proofs, and I want especially church kids, Christian family kids to hear this, because as you are growing older, as you become teenagers and young adults, you will and you ought to begin to question everything your mom and dad are teaching you in this way. Okay, I'm raised Christian. It's my culture. Is this true? In other words, all the stuff like I'm teaching my six children about Jesus, if it's mere religiosity in order to help me function in life, but in history, these claims that Jesus was born of a virgin that He died on the cross, and that the person who died was the eternal God, the second person, and that He rose from the dead. If these things are not true, then it is a lie, and it's not worth banking your whole life or eternity 
on. One of, this is all I want to say this morning, one of the really strong proofs of the truth of the testimony of those who were there and saw 2,000 years ago was those who were there and saw long before He ever came, called the prophets. Where God revealed hundreds of years before Jesus ever came the truth of the Christmas story. So what I want us to do, just very briefly, I'll just take a couple of these Old Testament predictions or prophecies because there's many more. Let me just start with the first book of the Bible. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And at the beginning, in chapter 12, God comes to a man named Abraham. And He makes a promise to Abraham in chapter 12, verse 3 of Genesis. And He says, I will bless those, Abraham, who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. God comes to Abraham, the Creator, and through one man, He says, through you, not just your family, not just Israel, all the nations, all the families of planet earth will be blessed through My promise to you. And so Abraham had a son, right? And the promise passed down through one of his sons named who? Kids? Abraham? Isaac? Jacob? Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. One of those sons was named Judah. And to one of the sons, not the other eleven, God makes the promise to Judah at the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 49, verse 10, saying this, The scepter, that's a kingly ruling thing, the scepter, the kingship, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he, Jesus, comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. So we see God came to Abraham. Then, in this prophecy, later on, it gets more specific. He starts to reveal how the promise to Abraham is going to bless the people. It's going to come through a king, a a ruler. And it's going to come specifically not only through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Well, Jacob had twelve sons. Those are the twelve tribes of Israel. It's only going to come through one of the sons, one of the tribes, His name is Judah. And then as we open another gift, wrapping comes off, next box, several hundred years later, God gave a king to Israel named, probably your favorite king, kids, David. And to King David, note, David... His dad, and his dad's dad, and his dad's dad dad goes back to which of the twelve tribes? Judah. He is of the tribe of Judah. And God makes this promise now, a few hundred years down the road to David through the, Nathan, through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die... 
I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish His kingdom, His rule as a king. He shall build a house for My name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom. Now listen to this. Forever. Somehow He's not going to die. And that was so central in their Bible that they were reading that one of the songs that the people of Israel would sing, it's in their song book called the Psalms, they have God speaking, saying this, Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. And so what we see here is that the king who is to come will be, we look at his lineage, his dad, his grandpa, 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 he will be a son of King David who is of the tribe of Judah. And he will sit on David's kingly throne. Okay, It said it right there, 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Then, a few hundred years after this, the prophet Isaiah prophesies, means the Holy Spirit revealed to him what to say, and the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 9, For to us a child is born, and a son is given. And the government, that means to rule and to reign, the government shall be upon His shoulder and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His rule, His reign, His government, and of peace, there will never, ever, ever be an end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. So we see now, about 700 years before Christ, he again makes it clear that this son of David will reign unendingly forever. Then the prophet Micah gets more specific. And he lets us know that this promised one to come, he's going to be born in a little town called Bethlehem. And not only that, he says something profound or mind-boggling to us. He says that little baby will be the person who is eternal. means he never had a beginning. When he says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So all of this is written long before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem. Now, one more question. 
how in the world will this one promise to be born with these names like Mighty God, born in Bethlehem, how will He bring the blessing that God promised to bring to all the world through Abraham? God answers that question by allowing Isaiah the prophet to let us know. And he told us how he's going to bring the blessing 700 years before Jesus. When he said in Isaiah chapter 53, you listening? But he, it's referring to Jesus, but he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities. That's a big word for all the ugliness in our hearts. And upon Him, this promised one, upon Him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with His stripes being whipped, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. So, so he's just said there, 700 years before Christ would come, because of, for the sake of, in the place of sinners like me, he would take that punishment. He would be crushed, killed. That's the end of Him. So how is He going to ever reign forever like the prophecies say? Well, you just continue on in Isaiah in the same chapter, down to verse 12, and He lets us know that this one, remember, 700 years before Jesus came, He lets us know He's not going to stay dead. Because he goes on to say, starting with verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Somehow, God is giving the spoil souls of men and women and children to this person, Jesus, after He's dead. And Jesus is interceding. He's alive after He's dead. So, kids, long before the angels showed up and shocked, stunned, and terrified Mary. Long before that, hundreds of years before that, it was already written down in the Bible about Jesus. Not His name, Jesus, but He will be a son of David, of the tribe of Judah. He will be the promised blessing that God promised Abraham. He will live a righteous life and establish His kingdom that way forever. And He will be brutally crushed and killed. He would be put to death for the sins or because of the sins as a substitute 
for the punishment of sinners. He would rise from the dead bodily, actually, really. And He would sit on the throne of His Father, the King, David, at the right hand of God forever. And He would rule there, dispensing the blessing God promised to Abraham to many people. So, when Jesus was conceived, therefore, in the womb of Mary and born 2,000 years ago, remember, it wasn't out of the blue. It should not have been a surprise. I never heard of such a thing. It was written down. The history of the Bible predicted it over and over again. Remember where we started. Well, actually, I didn't start. I didn't read that text to you. But in 1 Peter, he says that the prophets themselves, like Isaiah and like Micah and like Jeremiah and like Ezekiel, as they prophesied, they're only getting one piece One box, one present, not the one inside. They never got to see the little teeny box where the real gift was. They got signs, pieces of a puzzle to it. And Peter says, they long to see how does it all fit together. I would love to really be in history and see this. 1 Peter 1. They didn't. But if they did live long enough, they would have finally, like the shepherds said, like Simeon in the temple. I can die now. I have seen the one promised, the Lord's Christ, the Savior. Now, let's get down and open the last box. In this church, while most of you kids are in Sunday school, we've been studying the book of Hebrews for the last year and a half. I want to read one portion of Hebrews because... I could read many, but I just want to start here with one just portion of Hebrews and say, open the box where, if it were for my wife, it would be, if I had money, a diamond something after she got to the 14th box to open. Now we're going to open that 14th box. We've opened all these prophecies. Put it all together for us, God, the Holy Spirit through the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses four, starting with verse 4. He says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Let me stop for a second, kids. What that means really quickly is this. God also in the Old Testament told His people Israel how to make animal sacrifices and cut their necks open and shed blood as a sign of God's righteous, holy anger against sin. But the point of all of that was never that the blood of those animals in the temple could take away our sin as human beings. It was there as a shadow. You ever see a shadow of a person walking? If you kick that shadow, guess what? You're not going to hurt the person. It's not the reality. The real person is coming behind the shadow from behind the wall. 
They were pointers to the one true sacrifice, which is the baby in the manger who would grow up and sacrifice himself on behalf of many. That's what he means when he says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so he says, Christopher, therefore, when Christ Jesus came into the world, He said, now, what did this one promised about say? Because He's God. Why is He coming is the real point. He said, sacrifices of animals, offerings, Father, You have not desired, but a body, a human body in the womb of Mary, You have prepared for Me. And then, listen, we're almost done with this text. Listen to what He says. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single, just one sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. And then He says, For by one sacrifice, this one human sacrifice of the eternal God, the child of Mary, by one single sacrifice, He has perfected or made perfect a whole bunch of people. He has perfected for all time and forever those people who are being sanctified. Let me just say that in other words. He just said, because of Christ's death for sinners. That death bought something. What it bought, watch this, and especially to my kids who are here, you know me really well, and you know I'm not perfect. You know I sin. Yes. Now listen, this text says, I am perfect. In this sense, before God, this, and this is not an overspeak, this horribly wretched, God belittling, spurning sinner is viewed by this holy, eternal, righteous God as perfect as His Son Jesus was perfect when He grew up and lived His life and died. And He's the only sinless human being ever. That's how He sees me and everyone who is being sanctified. Means whom has had the truth of what I'm saying come to light, shine like a light in their hearts. Now, I want to do one other thing. Because I think you kids can handle this. I've debated it. I think you can. And what I want you to do is just picture what I'm going to read like it's supposed to be pictured. You do this all the time with, a, with stories. You start reading your Harry Potter books. You picture it, right? You can do this. I want us to say, how did now in the Bible the great Apostle Paul take this message that you've just heard and when he went to a town they've never heard this message, he would first go 
to the Jewish synagogue where mainly Jews are there, but some non-Jews are there. What would He say to them and to you and to all of us, adult or child, here? So just picture this as I read from the book of Acts, chapter 13, starting with verse 16. So Paul, in the synagogue, stood up, motioning with his hand. He said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, non-Jews, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, He led them out of Egypt. Remember, under Pharaoh. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. And after that, He gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then, the people asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin. But he got rid of Saul finally. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David to be their king, to whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now, wait, watch. Listen to what Paul now says to these people fellow Jews who know all these Scriptures, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as He has promised in the Scriptures. So brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who are in Jerusalem and the rulers because they did not recognize Jesus nor did they understand their Bibles. That's how he said it. Nor did they understand the utterances of the prophets like I just read to us. Therefore they had him handed over to Pilate and killed. In other words, he says, and though they found no guilt worthy of death in him, they gave him over to Pilate in order to be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took Jesus down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, Jesus, after His resurrection, appeared to those who had come with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now His witnesses to the people. And we bring to you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead. Now, Here's his punchline. And this is the punchline for every single human being here, child or adult. Here's how Paul closes. Let it be known to you, children and adults. Let it be known to you, therefore, because of what you've heard, 
that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by Him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's the end of that quote. All of history, kids, all of the Old Testament prophecies, everything leads up to the opening of this precious gift Paul just said. Everyone who believes can be freed. He said, forgiveness of sins is preached, proclaimed, told to you. Paul said it this way in a letter he wrote to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here it is. It's very simple, kids, about Christmas. Christ Jesus came in order to save sinners. Everyone can be saved. They have to qualify. You have to qualify. That means you have to be the right kind of person to be saved. And this is what it is. You have to be a sinner. That's it. If you have sinned, Jesus is for you. But notice, kids, now, in what I just read, I'm gonna, in what Paul said to the people, he did not say, did not say, to everyone who is raised in a Christian family, they will be freed from their sin. He didn't say that. He said, everyone who believes is freed receiving the gift of forgiveness requires that you, whether you're seven years old, 12, 18, 35, 83, every one of us, we're all the you. It requires that you, according to the text, believe. In Jesus. That you turn away from the little gods in this life that we really love much more than God. And we see the truth of Jesus. And believe. And embrace Him. This message clearly, kids, as you should know, is not just for kids. Every adult in here. But now, as I'm going to, for the next 15 minutes now, what I want to do, because if you're in here, it's most likely because your parents are already believers. What I want to do then is one of those parents, and as a pastor, is close and give you a couple few reasons why. I believe 
in Jesus. I was raised in church. I was raised hearing Bible truths. And I wasn't a believer. I mean, don't get me wrong. In my head, I believed. Always believed in that sense. But I wasn't a believer until I was almost 20. So what happened? I want to go back there and say, this is what was going on inside of me of why I am a believer. The first reason, we can just put them, we do them in any order, but let's just say, here's the first reason. Because miraculously, by God's mercy, I became really desperate. Because by God's mercy, I got in touch with, not that, yes, everyone's a sinner, I got in touch with my own personal sin and guilt before a holy God that I knew deep down I was in trouble. The Apostle Paul did say it this way in Romans 3. For all, every human being except Christ, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every person and every child in here, as you lie down in your bed and you think about it, you know, not just because we parents tell you, you know how messed up you are inside. You know your heart. You know how sinful you are. That's why I came. I knew by God's mercy how sinful I was. And the Gospel says to me, and it said to me 27 years ago, let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And so by God's mercy, I got in touch with my guilt and I wanted to get rid of it. Therefore, I believed. Secondly, I trust in Christ. I believe in Jesus. Because all the religion I was raised in, all the moral codes all the perfect moral codes like the Ten Commandments, you shall love the Lord your God, obey your ma and your pa, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. The best moral codes in the world could not save me. Remember what Paul just said. Here it is again to the people. Telling them how to be saved. He said, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You know what that is? That's God's law. The moral instruction, let me be really clear. God gives law, and His law is perfect and it's right. And He tells you, be this way, live this way, and do things this way. And we parents do our best to give you moral laws about right 
and wrong. And in this church, we give you moral laws from the Bible about right and wrong. And you can do your best for ten zillion years, kids, and it cannot save you. None of your doing good could save you. Only. Got to hear that? Hear it? Hear it? Only Jesus can save you. And He did. By His birth, His life, that He lived perfectly, and His sacrificial death, and confirmed by His resurrection. He did save me. And He saved you if you see what I'm saying. And believe. Trust Him. That's why I believe in Jesus. Another reason I believe in Jesus, and I've alluded to it earlier, historically, We're not just talking about religion. We're saying in history, this particular person at this particular place lived, preached, and he died, and he was actually, after being stiff, hard as a rock, dead for three days, rose from the dead and appeared and spoke and taught for the next six weeks before he ascended to heaven. But one of the other reasons I really believe that is so solid is because of the prophecies that He came to miraculously fulfill. Fourth reason I believe is because the one I believe in, Jesus, is not a mere human being. He is human, but He's not merely human. See, any other human being who in their very person was not God, eternal, without beginning, Creator, they could never die for me. The dying on the cross for my sin, much less millions of people's sins, that person had to be of such value, such eternal worth in order to be the substitute. And He was. Remember what the angel Gabriel said to Mary. Let's hear it again. The Holy Spirit, Mary, will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I Believe in Jesus because He's God who is true man. That's the One who paid the price to free me from my sin forever. And I can tack on to that. But why believe? Because the proof of His resurrection seems so historically solid to me. His close intimates who not only interacted with Him after His resurrection of the dead for a period of six long weeks, testified to it year after year after year after year after year. And in the threat of stop saying that this Jesus was raised, many of them would and decided to be killed instead of deny what they were saying. 
And he appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. And now, we're almost done here, kids. I trust in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I receive as gift Jesus. Because that's the only way you can get Him. You cannot earn Him. You cannot work for the gift of eternal life. There are no good works. There is no obedience to God's law that you could do that would say, you're good enough now. You can only receive this glorious message freely by trusting in Him and Him alone. And the last reason, say it this way, that I believe in Jesus is because I came to a place where there was nowhere else to go for the happiness and the longing of meaning and truth that I so longed for. I believe in Him because He's the answer to why I exist. And He's the fulfillment of real happiness. And He's the deliverance from a horrible future that would have awaited me apart from Him. As the book of Hebrews says, and we have been studying in this church, in chapter 10, for if we go on sinning and rejecting this message, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume Joe LeMay, who so deserves it. So as I close, let me say this to us. Every human being in here right now can know. You can know for sure. You can have a deep down confidence. I know I am saved. I know I'm forgiven of my sin. I know that Christ's sacrifice, His penalty that He paid was my penalty. It was for me. Listen to how the book of Romans says it to us in chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? Because with the heart, one believes and is made right with God. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. If you have not received this greatest Christmas gift that is in existence, if you're not sure, adult or child, then cry out to God and say, God, I don't know if I believe. And say, God, make me Believe if that's where you're at. And if you do, then confess it. You say it. Confess to your parents, your Sunday school teachers, your friends. I mean, I think personally, I I, I do believe. 
in Him. And what I mean is this. Don't mean, I know, just in my head, I just, I have an encounter with Him. I know Him personally somehow now. And when that happens, say it. Confess it. Again, all my life, as a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a twelve-year-old, a fifteen-year-old, an eighteen-year-old, if you would have asked me, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on a cross for the sins of the world, and He's the only way to salvation, I would have said and not been lying, yes, but I didn't know I was an unbeliever until I became a believer. When, at age 19, almost 20, reading the Bible for the first time in my life, something happened where, I'll explain it this way, it was like that generalized, that statement about what I just made about Christ dying for the world, it just hit me. Oh my goodness. If this is real, this is by far the greatest news that could be in existence. Never hit me like that before. I saw that, not that He died for the world, it's true, but He died for me. I'm His. He's mine. Many of you may have experienced that. Confess it. Come, search. What I want us to do is we're going to close here and sing together. We're going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If you don't have a sheet of paper, maybe grab one, look at these words, because as we're singing this, oh, my prayer is that these words would become the passion and the joy of all of our hearts.
the newborn king. He was born to give to us the second birth. Let us pray. Holy Father, Almighty God, the one who appeared to Abraham and promised to bless us here and all over the world, the God of David, the God who sent the angel Gabriel, the God and eternal Father of the eternal second person of the Trinity, who was born in a feeding trough because there is no room in the inn. Boy, you are sovereign. <laughs> and oh, how we can trust you. We thank you. This day, and throughout this week, I ask for a, a great, great, great blessing and work of your Holy Spirit in everyone here as we anticipate this coming Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. May you work to the glory of your Son and to the joy and eternal happiness of those of us you're saving. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stay standing. And stand with me, please, kids. May the great joy of Christmas in all of its cultural ways and may the real meaning of Christmas be so present with you this week that you'll never forget the work of God in you this season to the glory of Jesus. Go in that blessing.